0: Pray with me as we turn our attention to God's word. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the great privilege of being able to come before you and worshiping you. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would indwell this place, that you would bring to life your Holy Scriptures and apply them to our hearts, and that all of this would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why? Why am I here? Why is this happening? Why won't this end? Why is it always so hard? And why don't you understand? Why? It's a question we ask a lot, isn't it? And it's a question that often comes from a place of great discontentment. A question that comes from a place of loss, or a place of frustration, or a leak even a lack of understanding. And it's a question we often aim right at God. Why God? But what I want us to consider today is maybe we're asking the wrong question. Instead of why, maybe we should be asking how. How? How can God use me for His glory? How can God use my skills to build His church? How is God trying to change me through what's going on in my life? How can God use what I'm going through to build His kingdom? And how can I more fully participate? in His plan. Because God is inviting us to join Him on a journey. God loves us, and He wants us to share that message of love with others. God has taken the first step to make things right, and He wants us to extend that forgiveness to others. Today we begin the next phase of our journey with God. We are loved... And we have been forgiven. But why did God forgive us when we certainly didn't deserve it? Fortunately, that is a why question that he's answered. Ephesians 2 8 to 10, Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God saved us because he has a purpose for us. He saved us because he has work for us to do. So instead of asking why, we need to be asking how and what. Because God's love shared with us, and his forgiveness extended to us, should create in us a deep motivation to discover and accomplish his purposes for us. So let's begin where we left off last week, at the end of John 21. See, John 21 is really a transitional passage in the scriptures. It marks the beginning of a change in roles. What we witness at the end of John 21 is the handoff of responsibility from Christ to Peter. What we see is the dawn of a new age in history, the church age. What we saw last week was that the difficult conversation, the confrontation, if you will, that Jesus needed to have with Peter came out of a place of love. Jesus approaches the confrontation by making Peter breakfast. And really, who does that? I've had a few confrontations in my life, and I've had lots of breakfasts. It's the most important meal of the day. But the two have not typically come together as part of the same event. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Before he confronts Peter... He shows him very tangibly how much he loves him by making him breakfast. And so we see that forgiveness flows out of love. And just like forgiveness flows out of love, purpose flows out of forgiveness. And this flow from love to forgiveness to purpose is demonstrated beautifully in John twenty-one fifteen. Read, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. As we saw last week, there's great depth in this interchange. But what we want to focus on today is that while Christ is confronting Peter, while Christ is extending forgiveness to Peter, he is also giving him new purpose. is giving him a new responsibility, the responsibility to be the shepherd. Christ is making Peter the caregiver, protector, and nurturer of his sheep and his new church, which is about to be born. Is it a different purpose than Peter would have had if he had not betrayed Christ? I don't know, but I think it's a role he couldn't have done nearly as effectively if he didn't know what it was like to personally betray betray Christ, because the Peter we find at the end of John 21, after the betrayal, is a much humbler and gentler Peter than the one we found back in John 18, before the betrayal. And Peter, I would guess, will likely be a much more patient and loving shepherd to the sheep who go astray because Peter will never forget what it felt like when he went astray. And so what we need to see from this exchange is that our purposes are shaped and reshaped by our experiences. No longer is Peter just going to be the fisher of men. That was his original purpose that Christ had given him. A purpose that he will still fulfill, but now there is more. Now Peter is also being called to care for the flock. See, the fisherman is done once the catch is made. But the shepherd has a lifelong commitment and involvement with the sheep. And so we see that our purpose flows out of not just our design and skills or our passions and our giftings, but our purpose also is shaped by our experiences and our choices. God will use all of these things for his purposes if we will allow him to. We have a tendency to define things as good or bad, As successes or failures. We usually try and hide the bad and minimize the failures. But we see that God views it all as useful for His purposes, if we will allow it. And like Peter, our purposes may get redefined over time, they may get redefined by our experiences good and bad, by our failures and our successes. And we need to be open to that as well. Sometimes our choices and experiences open up new doors, new opportunities, and sometimes they close them. But either way, we need to be seeking purpose. We need to be seeking ways to glorify God, seeking ways to strengthen and expand His kingdom. And if something we are doing will not lead to the strengthening and expansion of His kingdom, then I suppose we need to ask whether we should be doing it at all. So instead of always asking why, why is this or that happening, we should be asking how. How does God want to use who I am who he has designed me to be, and what I have been through for his glory. And will I let him do that? As we come to the end of John 21, we see there's one more bit of correction that Peter and the other disciples need before they can take on their new roles. We pick up in John 21:19. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And he said, Lord. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. What we see is Jesus is telling them, You guys have got to stop the comparison game between each other because you're both unique. We are unique. No two of us are created the same. Not even identical twins born with the same DNA are the same. There are slight differences in their appearances which may only be evident to their parents. There are differences in their personalities. There are differences in their skills. There are differences in their experiences. And there are differences in the choices that they make. And because we are unique, our purposes and roles are also unique. So we need to spend less time worrying about other people's purposes. And more time focused on what God has equipped and called us for. Because if your role was not important to God, He wouldn't have given it to you. We need to be focused on identifying and fulfilling our purpose. Because we've each been given purpose, and our purpose is part of God's plan. And His plan flows out of an acknowledgement of who Christ is. See, in Matthew 16... One of the other great interchanges between Simon and Jesus, Christ says, but what about you? Christ asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, this interchange is where the plan first gets unveiled. And it's in a direct response to the revelation of who Christ is. Christ is the Messiah. And with that recognition, with the recognition of that fact, he can now reveal the rest of his plan to the disciples his plan to build his church. And it's the first time in all of scriptures that church is referenced. And what we see, what we can't miss, is that the church is built solely upon the recognition of Christ as Messiah and Lord. Acts 2.41 says those who accepted the message, the message that Jesus is Christ, is Messiah and Lord, became part of their number. They became part of the church. And when we accept that message, we too become part of the church. This is what we confirm in our statement of faith. We believe that the true church compromises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith, alone, in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches, whose membership should be composed only of believers the Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. He is going to build his church, and he wants us to help accomplish that plan. We have purpose and responsibility, but we don't have ownership. This is not my church. This is not our church. This is Christ's church. And a little spoiler alert, the plan will be successful. The church will win. The passage says the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We fret over the decline of our Christian nation and we should be greatly concerned about our country. But building America was never Christ's plan. Building his church is his plan. And we know the outcome. We may not know the outcome for our country, but we know the outcome for his church. The church wins. So we just have to do our part. We just have to fulfill our purposes. But let's be honest. Any rational person would say, the plan makes no sense. In fact, this is part of how we know the Bible is real. Because nobody would make this up. Right? Seriously. Seriously. If I'm going to change the world, if I'm going to build any organization that has a chance of success, I'm not picking these guys. A bunch of fishermen from Galilee, a tax collector, really? In fact, if I'm going to change the world, I'm not picking me. And really, I love you guys? But without God, we're a pretty ragtag bunch. right? But there are the key words. Without God, right, in Matthew nineteen twenty six, Jesus looked at them and said, "With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible." So, what exactly makes this ridiculous plan possible? Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. See, we have the purpose. He has the plan, but we need the power. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. And in Acts 1.8, we see where the power will come from to achieve, achieve his plan. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And continuing on in Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of that promise. because each one heard their own language being spoken. They received the power and were given gifts. Power and gifts appropriate for their purpose and roles. And we as evangelicals get freaky about this tongue thing sometimes. Right? I don't have that gift. I can tell you that because it took me three tries to pass Spanish one. But I'll bet you... Bruce and Lori know a lot of people in Papua New Guinea who have the gift of communicating in tongues. And they are translating the word of God and expanding his kingdom through that gift. In Acts 2.38, we see that if we are part of his church, if we have accepted Christ as our Messiah and Lord, then we are part of his plan, and we too have received power and power in gifts appropriate for our purposes and roles. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us a much more detailed explanation on the gifts and how Christ intends the church to function interdependently to accomplish his plan. I encourage you to spend time meditating on that passage, but I just want to briefly summarize it for us, because there are some very important things in there we need to recognize. There are different gifts, but they come from the same Spirit. The gifts are given for the common good. The gifts should bring unity, not division within the church. The gifts are distributed to each one just as the Spirit intends. And it takes all of the gifts for the body to be complete. It takes all of the gifts working together for the body to be effective and efficient. And God has placed all the parts in the body just the way he wanted them to be. All the gifts are honorable. All the gifts are indispensable. Some gifts are behind-the-scenes gifts. Others are very public. So if that is how it's supposed to work, there are some questions we need to consider. First, are we fully participating? Are we utilizing our gifts within the church? If not, then we may be preventing the church from being as effective and as efficient as it should be. Do we value the uniqueness of others in the roles that they play as part of the church? And are we content with our purpose and gifts? See, if we're not content what we're really sort of saying is, you know, God, I don't like how you made me. God, I don't like the purpose that you gave me. And that's real. Those are real feelings. And if that's where you find yourself today, I suggest Psalm 139 for your afternoon reading pleasure. It will do your soul a lot of good. So we have purpose. We understand the plan. We've been given the power. But how is this whole church thing supposed to work? Acts 2, the end of Acts chapter 2, gives us the model that has been laid out for the church. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And once they accepted the message, and if we have accepted the message, we are now part of God's family. We are now part of his called out ones, his assembly, his church. And just like being part of our natural families, just like being part of any workplace, comes with expectations, being part of his church comes with responsibilities and expectations as well. See, there is no model in Scripture for an independent Christian life. There's no model for a Christian life that is not completely integrated into the life of his church. The text says they devoted themselves to six things. The Apostles' teaching. Because we need to be learning. We need to be nourished spiritually. We need to grow in our knowledge of God. Fellowship. We need to be part of intimate, interdependent communities. Eating together, because we need to be nourished physically and relationally. Prayer, because we need to maintain our relationship and communication with the Godhead. Sharing of possessions, because we need to provide for the work of the church and the care of our community. And praise, Because in everything, we must give praise and glory to God. And the text says that their participation in these practices resulted in harmony, glad and sincere hearts among the believers. And their participation in these practices resulted in the growth of the church. So the participation in the practices results in growth, growth of the individuals, and growth in the number of individuals. Is our participation in the practices resulting in growth? If there is not growth, then we have to consider, are we participating fully and appropriately in all of the practices? Are we participating appropriately? Do we participate with glad and sincere hearts? Or are we critical and dismissive? Are we participating fully? Are all of these practices as integral to our lives as they were to the lives of the early church? Or do we perhaps pick and choose the ones that are comfortable and fit best into our schedules? Let's be honest. The model, these practices do not fit well within our American ideals of individualism and materialism. But we're not called to be Americans. As Hebrews says, we live here, but we are called to be citizens of another country, citizens of another kingdom, a kingdom where Christ is both Messiah and Lord. I remember when I worked in London, I learned to function very effectively in British society, but there were always these points of friction that existed because I was not a British citizen. Our citizenship in God's kingdom should likewise create friction points as we live in the culture that surrounds us. I'll suggest that most of our struggles individually and collectively stem from being out of alignment or out of balance with the model. When we're out of alignment or balance, things don't function correctly. We can usually compensate for a while, but eventually, if we don't get back into alignment and balance, something breaks. How many of you have ever had a car whose tires are out of alignment or balance? At first, It's just annoying. And if we don't fix it, eventually it becomes uncomfortable. And if we ignore it a little longer, it can become dangerous. And ultimately, if we just keep compensating, if we just keep trying to pull that car without addressing the root cause of the issue, eventually something's going to break. Is there an area in your life that is out of balance? Maybe it's time for an alignment check. Have we accepted Christ's forgiveness? Do we understand our purpose? Are we part of the plan? Are we utilizing the power? And are we participating in the practices? as the worship team comes and we prepare to gather together around the Lord's table, take some time to contemplate where you may be out of alignment or out of balance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a plan and that through your grace you have chosen to include us in that plan. We pray that you would receive glory and honor from this church as we fully participate in the practices you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.